Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In ancient times, hanging gardens, great pyramids and other superstructures were celebrated as wonders of the world. And like days of the week and deadly sins, there were always seven of them. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I asked my guests in this podcast and on stage here today. And the guest I'm asking today is a comedian, performer and presenter. You're a fan of Radio 4 and Why Shouldn't You Be? You will know him from his long-running collaboration with Brian Cox in the series The Infinite Monkey Cage. Please welcome Robin Ince. So, while well, we settle down with our microphones, uh, it, uh, I'm so glad that you mentioned he presents with Brian Cox. Yes. If they don't, people go, I can't believe it, we're going to see Brian Cox. Yeah. Oh, that's much older. Yeah. Well, look, a lot of, I think a lot of people would know uh, the programme I'm talking and, and all about you, but some people won't. You've got to, there's a lot of things. So when we say Brian Cox, there are, of course, two Brian Coxes in the world who are terrifically famous. So you've plumped for the scientist, the physicist. For the time being. Um, <laughs> Uh, rather than succession and uh, all that, so but he he must get fed up with that. The whole uh, both of them must get fed up with that. Well, yes, because yeah. in England, if you say you work with Brian Cox and then you say it's Professor Brian Cox, they're very excited. Whereas in Scotland, they're very disappointed. So yeah. that's just kind of the way it works. All yeah. oh, right. I hope you're not. Dis- it doesn't really matter because neither Brian Cox is no, here. No, they're not going to be here. It's no. only one Robbie yeah, Ince, yeah, yeah. and uh, and we've got you. Uh, so that's good. Um, so you're here doing a show or shows? Yeah. How, yeah. how many shows are you doing? I'm here? just. Uh, I'm doing two shows today. I do a show at one o'clock at the Museum. Of Scotland called Weapons of Empathy, which is about books and all of the kind of adventures you can have within them. Yes. And uh, and then the other show is called Melons. Uh, and that's yeah. all. No. And no. Uh, but Melon, you've uh, chosen Melons. I uh, did. Yeah. But it's, uh, Could have been any fruit. I, I, I did Could've... add it. Yeah. And it's basically yeah. love letters to stand up comedy. It's about the fact that when I was about 12, 13 years old, I first started really watching stand up and watching Rick Mail and Alexi Sell. And I absolutely adored what I saw. Yes. And then I used to listen to you as well on the uh, on Radio 4, on yeah. the, uh, the Whose line is it anyway? No, the com- no before. Oh, that, God, the cabaret upstairs. Sto- yes, cabaret yes, upstairs. Yeah. And I introduced a lot of things. big, big acts. Yeah, there, and I absolutely, to, yeah. you know, and I was in love with it. And then I had that normal thing, which is after a while, you forget why you loved something, and it be- you become a bit jaded. And it's about how I then kind of returned to my excitement about it as well. You, you sort of formally gave up uh, stand-up comedy about seventeen you? times. Yeah, it no, never there was a, there's a moment in your career when yeah. it was like uh, like giving up alcohol or cigarettes. You were giving it up. And it, and how long did that last for? It lasted about a week because everyone knew that I'd given up, so they knew I was available to do benefit shows. Oh. So immediately I get calls saying, "We know you're not doing anything, and we're doing a special benefit now for uh, some dogs that have not been well. Yeah. Please come around and do that." That's, so just that's the worst of that. all worlds, isn't it? Because you're still doing it, but yeah, you're yeah. not getting paid for it. But, but I have to do it. I mean, I love it. I think yeah. that's the thing: is underneath it all, you have all these battles, and you get worried. And of course, during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, you know, egos fracture and all that kind of thing. But yeah. it is to me the joy of creating things, and that's what. I'm and I think the older I've got, the more I just really love making stuff. 
Okay, uh, good. And you've been at the Edinburgh Festival since, is it 1990? Did I, did I? The first year I came up just to watch, I was 18 years old. I got a summer job and then I had enough money to come up here and I saw Jeremy Hardy, which was a lovely thing because I saw Jeremy, I, 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 Harriet Watt, I think it was at, and after the show, he was selling his poster for a pound to go to Terence Higgins Trust. All right. And I still have that poster. I actually sometimes show it in the show and it just says, to Robin, with love, Jeremy Hardy. All and right. I have that lovely thing of that bit where some of the people that, I first knew from just loving their work, people yeah. like you, Clive. Uh, and then you, <laughs> you actually had that as an afterthought yeah. every no, time. No, 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 no. Yeah. I will though. Yeah. Um, I know how this business yeah. works, and and I just you know, and it's a beautiful thing when you know yeah. when you get to work with someone like Alexi Sale or whoever it is, and you think, my God, I was twelve years old when I first saw you, and and yeah, exactly, yeah, and then and then you end up you know doing things with them. It's, yeah, it's great. Um, all right, so that's just I'm just sketching in your background there, but you've also done. Uh, you uh, TV programs, the eleven o'clock show. Mm. Ricky Gervais, you've worked with as well. Yeah, we don't talk anymore. And uh, <laughs> oh, good, I've stumbled yeah, on something. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Well, he, yeah, I was going to say he's probably quite a tough person to work. Well, with. we kind of—I don't know if we fell out, but he just stopped talking to me because I—I kind of picked him up on some of the stuff that I felt was a little bit uh, kind of uh, excessive in his act, and and yeah. I don't think he's probably used to. I think when you get very, very rich, you're surrounded by people who will always say yes to you yeah. because they all want to take a piece of the money. Right. And so if you have an old friend who goes, questions you, you yeah. go, hang on a minute, this doesn't happen in my life. Yeah. I'm never questioned. So that we did have that kind of, but I mean, we, we didn't, it was only quite recently that we come, but, but we knew each other yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. And it was just, and again, it's that bit where sometimes the older you get, the more you, you feel you do sometimes need to say out things aloud so you don't end up being complicit sometimes. Yes. All right. I'm with, I'm with you on that. I'm just noting. I haven't made enough money that I've got everybody around me agreeing with the whole time. I can't find anybody to agree with me. It's certainly my personal life. Um, I won't go into that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you were courageous enough to say to to him, well, I think that joke says something. Uh, I don't agree, I don't think he's yeah, right. Yeah, I just but... didn't. I, I I like. I mean, uh, to be honest, the comedy that I I really love is the comedy that if it punches at all, it punches up. And I think mm. punching down at people and attacking people who are probably more likely to be attacked in the first place in their life yeah. anyway, just by leaving the front door. I think I love. You know, when you watch someone like John Hegley, you know, when you watch yes. someone like Josie Long, you watch these people, and the the shows are full of love and joy, and people come out elevated. Everyone comes out, and it's like yeah. I've never really particularly like picky on the front row you know when they go oh, oh yeah. you married to her she's yeah. gonna leave you you're ugly yeah. you're yeah. fat you've got a rubbish job and then everyone leaves just yeah. going i'm filled with yeah. existential anxiety i need some stones to put in my pockets i'm gonna jump into a canal that seems to me to be the antithesis yes. of of entertainment did, did you hear that story about tony allen who was an old-time mm. comedian he was sitting in the front row of a show in edinburgh there was an american comedian just coming along and saying what do you do what do you do and he got to tony and said uh, he said yeah what do you do and uh, um, Tony answered, well, I'm a comedian. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tony was one of the first comedians I ever saw live, the comedy store, when I was yeah. 16 years old. I saw Tony, Jeremy Hardy, Kit Hollaback, yes. and uh, oh, Tony had a wonderful yeah. thing. You might not know Tony Allen. He pops up in The Young Ones. He's, a, he's an anarchist as well, wrote a wonderful book about stand-up comedy. Um, but unfortunately, he's very ill, and, and he's oh, dying. And oh, they no. actually had, though, a wake for him called The Woke Wake, so he could hear everyone talking about him while he was still alive oh, and, and Alexi and John Hegley yeah. and people like that went and I think isn't that a beautiful thing because you see sometimes when someone like you know Sinead O'Connor died and you suddenly everyone's standing up for her yeah. and you think well we need to do that in life we need to tell people that we love them now sure yeah uh, yes very very good point yeah yeah, Tony, I did, a, I did a documentary once. So we'll get on to your wonders in a minute. But the, uh, I did a documentary on the Comedy Store, and he was kind of 
he was an alternative comedian before there were mm. alternative comedians. So he came in to do an interview and he said, oh, I've written a book, uh, Clive. And uh, he said, do, do you want a copy? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and uh, well, I can't afford to give them away. So, so, <laughs> so, so he, made, he made me buy it. And then naturally I flicked through to see a reference to me. Yeah. And he said, oh, and then Clive was, I never really liked his stuff. But, uh, <laughs> so I bought an insult, <laughs> a mild insult, but <laughs> shameless, shameless. But I'll, I'll put that in the tribute if I get it a chance to do that so let's come on to your your wonders you've selected seven wonders mm. was this an agony to you too or do you have lots of wonders no i never the thing is when anyone says what what are your favorite seven songs your favorite yeah. seven films i don't agonize over it because i don't think anyone's going to go i was a little bit annoyed in 2023 yeah. you said one of those things was one of your wonders but then in 2025 you said something different i don't trust you because yeah. i think it is a very impulsive oh, think, thing yeah. so when i got the the question i was like what are my wonders today so it's gonna be quite nice because yeah. some of them i might not find wonderful at all anymore well, <laughs> well, we'll try, to, try to stick with it at least for the purpose of this recording but the um, <laughs> no, well, the thing that struck me about you though because you do these how many years is it more than 10 years you've been doing the infinite monkey yeah cage? monkey cage has been 14 years yeah. we're nearly up to episode 200 now the great thing is when you're doing a show about everything in the known universe and conjecture about the unknown universe yeah. it turns out there's a lot of stuff yes. and we and we very rarely get to the second question this is the thing when brian and i mm. and, and sasha our producer meet in the afternoon we have a rough idea of three different sections, three different areas we want to go to and whatever we're talking about. And then, of course, you ask question one, and sometimes we don't get to question one till very near the end yeah. because someone says something in the introduction and you want to, and that's the thing that I love is you always, you know, we never want people to leave feeling they've just been handed a kind of half hour, here is your beginner's guide. Yeah. What we want people to, when they finish listening to is go, I feel as excited as that panel. Like, like we have this yeah. wonderful uh, Erica McAllister. I don't know if any of you've heard that she, she's a fly expert and yeah. she has the most lurid details about flies, right? And yeah. in fact, any of you now, if you ever have a fly land in your beer, go and buy another pint. I can tell you that now, right? Yeah. So, and she just loves flies yeah. so much. And so suddenly people are excited by flies. And we did one about spiders, which was wonderful because it turns out Brian genuinely is scared of spiders. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were yeah. out in Australia. We had an orb weaving spider. We had a huntsman spider and a St. Andrew's cross spider. And he really, it's the first time I've seen him going, oh no, but I thought yeah. the spiders, because one came out in a little frame. He went, I thought they were all going to be in boxes. Yeah. I said, well, that one is in a box. It's just that two sides of it are open. <gasps> oh. oh. <laughs> and uh, and it, and it was and the, we had this wonderful. She was originally from Austria, this spider expert. And sometimes, of course, scientists take everything very, very literally, as you know. Mm. You can you can do a joke, and then they'll go, yeah. "Oh, I see, Clive. Yes, that was a joke." Mm. And uh, with so that wasn't meant to be Richard Dawkins, but it was. <laughs> and uh, and then there was this great moment where uh, in the sound check, he went to the, the he went now now you're not originally from Australia, are you? And she went, "No, originally I'm from Austria, but my family had to leave after the chocolate famine." And he went. I didn't know there was a chocolate famine. <laughs> and you could just see her going, I'm going to have some fun. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to go on to your wonders, but just, just inside issue there. Now, we know Brian Cox is interested in, well, all sorts of things, but physics and science, mm. uh, because he studied, he's a professor in it, alongside his music career as well. But you, you didn't do science at university, no. did you? So. Uh, you did sort of, is it English and drama or, or I, I, I did uh, yeah 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 that was yeah. my kind of thing so and when did you I mean a lot, I think a lot of people do this because our our education system particularly in England I think I don't think it's quite so much in Scotland is very di divided and you yeah. do 
people like to do you know French English and history, and they never go near science. Yeah. But then later in life, they suddenly go, "Hey, I've missed out on a lot of interesting." Is, would that apply to you? Well, yeah. I think the problem that we that certainly in the English and Welsh education system is that it's far too, as you said, it's divided. Yeah. So you go, "Here are the arts," and then this, and and of course, science and English and all those things. I think the way they should be taught is with lots of overlap. You know, if you're a scientist, then it would be nice for you to study maybe Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and yeah. or, or you know George Eliot's Middlemarch, all of which and how have to write English. To, in a way that everybody yeah. can understand, and, not and just your your colleagues. Yeah, across exactly. The and, and that storytelling, yeah. and I think lots of us, when it just gets down to the equations, we see science as something detached from the world that we're living in. Yeah. And so the storytelling is really required. And I know many science teachers who, you know, the trouble is that we always have the most inept and useless education secretaries, you know. Yeah. And because they're generally not passionate or curious or interested people, they actually can't under, you know, when yeah. you see something like, uh, you know, the prime minister, got Mickey Mouse degrees, and yeah. then the next day he's hosting the National Theatre at 10 Downing Street. Yeah. And you're like, go, well, these Mickey Mouse degrees, art, curiosity, science, all of these things, yeah. they need to be celebrations of the world. And they, you know, everything that I look at now becomes somehow connected also to the scientific story as well as the human story and other things. Yeah, Mickey Mouse degrees. And where is he now? Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh, anyway, so um, your first wonder is the magic roundabout. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I can't tell exactly the age group of the audience, but there's there's a few shiny heads, so indicate that there'll be, there'll be some people who f remember the magic roundabout. Well, you, uh, you, you're almost too young, really, to... No, no? It, was, it ran throughout the 70s, and then also Nigel Planer did a new version of it on Channel 4, I think. Yeah. And uh, the magic roundabout, if you don't know, uh, it was uh, written by Eric Thompson, who uh, is the father of Emma Thompson. And Eric Thompson, so it was this uh, a kind of animation series, stop-motion animation series, and and he never actually knew what the original scripts were because it was from France. Yes, it's an odd thing, isn't it? Because they got the, the footage from France and instead of getting somebody to translate what they said in French, for some reason, they just gave it him, make yeah. up a story. And they said, goes, watch this and make like up a story, right? But nobody's ever done that before no. or since. It's, and it's, it's the a crazy most way. magical thing. Yeah. Because sometimes when you've seen the original scripts, it turns out it's nowhere near. Yeah. So the thing that I loved about it and the thing that I love is it never underestimated its audience of, yeah. of two to six-year-olds, right? <laughs> and his imagination, like there's a thing that's wonderful in it, that, that there is a, my introduction to the film Battleship Potemkin, right? A Russian yeah. classic is through Eric Thompson because in one of the episodes Dougal the dog is rushing around with a camera and at one point he goes I bet this never happened to Sergei Eisenstein <laughs> now <laughs> now you would get TV executives yeah. as you know going I'm oh, sorry Clive no. I don't believe that yeah. our core demographic of two to six year olds will know yeah. about the work we'd of have to Sergei Mr. Eisenstein Mr. Tumble instead. yeah so, so, Mr. Yeah. Tumble or the Marvel Universe yeah. right <laughs> and because and as a child it didn't matter you didn't go oh I yeah. feel alienated yeah. I don't understand <laughs> the references you rejoiced and then yeah. at another point in that episode alone Dougal just suddenly goes I am a camera so it's like these wonderful things yes. and, and I think you know sometimes I go and speak at primary schools and, and talk to them about science and they're the most terrifying gigs mm. because you know I've, I've, I've done 14,000 seaters with Brian Cox and stuff yeah. but it's not as scary
is going to speak to year ones and year twos about science because you know when they're beginning to lose interest in you because the finger just keeps going further and further yeah. up the nose you know yeah. and um and that joy of because i was told the first time i did one this science community communicator said oh you should talk about things like farting in space and you should talk about things like dinosaur poo they love that yeah. and then i thought with well, these five and six year olds that their their minds have never been wider and ready to receive so many ideas and i ended up talking about the brains inside their skulls and the number of stars inside our galaxy and the size of the universe mm. and jane goodall and her work with chimpanzees and they were just so into it yeah. and it's that thing which is i think we now i mean you remember that i can't remember that it's hugh carlton green or lord reith you know when they were once asked i'm gonna give the people what they want and he went oh we're gonna give them something much better than that yeah and <laughs> i think Far too often when art is made, people are second-guessing the audience and they're also presuming the audience are much more stupid than they are. Yes. You know, and that fact that we see documentaries where they keep having to do a recap and a recap and everything has to be understood. And yet for many people, if you hear a word that you don't understand, you may well be holding in your hand basically a library that will allow you to look up everything. Yeah. And it's never been easier to stop a show. All of those things. And I think you know, if we keep dumbing down, then we... you know. I don't want things to be highfalutin. I want people, again, like Monkey Cage, I want everyone to feel welcome. I want everyone to feel that their curiosity is something they can share. And if they mispronounce a name, that doesn't matter. The joy is the curiosity. All right. I, th I think... I think I think it was Lord Reith that said, "Yeah, I, I want it. BBC should give people slightly better than what they want. Yeah, they think they want. So, which can be regarded as a bit elitist, or it can be regarded as a, an aspiration to make things better rather than looking for the lowest common denominator." Well, one of my favourite things because I do lots of free shows in libraries and bookshops and things like that. Very often, people How come do you mean along. You stand up in a library and start talking. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. this is a free now show. You're over here. Here. <laughs> no, you yeah, shush. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, uh, but no, I, 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 and when I go to those places, it's like people don't necessarily, they may not have even heard the radio show. They don't really know what to expect. And I will often go in loads of different directions. And there's a beautiful thing when someone comes up to you and says, I had no idea what to expect and I had a lovely day. Yeah. Or I had a man come up to me once after a show I did at Cannons Gate during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And he was about 80 years old and he was a former bricklayer and his granddaughter had brought him. And he went, I'd just like to say, I did not understand a word of that. <laughs> and I've had a lovely evening. And that, you know, that... That kind oh, of good. thing, yeah. I think, is mm. is a delight. Still, there's a slight surprise, given that you deal with all these, well, it could be described as highfalutin topics in your in your performance, your radio show, that uh, the Magic Roundabout turned out to be your, your number one wonder of the world. But, oh, hang yeah. on, you didn't tell me it was uh, rated one to seven. No, no, it's not no, rated, okay, but that's, I want to make that sure. that's the first one we came to. That's, also, uh, yeah. I used to always have a Dougal cake uh, at my birthday. So oh, there's right. all these pictures of me with a lovely Dougal cake yeah. with all iced, you know, uh, yes. fur and all that kind of stuff. It's delicious. And he's, he's got his hair down to the ground uh, because they didn't want to show his feet because it made these stop. Yeah, uh, it's great, easier. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a, yeah so, yeah, so my Proustian rush, for some people it's, ah, the Madeleine, and yeah. for me, it's the Dougal yeah. cake. Or, and or, if you've got the face as well, you had a nice glacé cherry in the middle. Mm. Oh, right, yeah. So he was your favourite character above the Oh, Zebedee I don't or... know, actually. It's really hard. I love it. I mean, there's a uh, Mark Kermode, Dougal and the Blue Cat, is actually one of his favourite films of all time, which it really is. And really? A, if you've, has anyone had seen Dougal and the Blue Cat? 
Oh, it's so good. I've really promised it. And it's got Buxton in it. Buxton's an evil blue cat. And he has a song where he goes, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. But most of all, I'm evil, right? <laughs> and it's just, and, and I love all of that. Florence sings a beautiful and very, very sad song. And you do find yourself going, I'm really not meant to be crying while watching yeah. it. Yeah, it's just, all right. yeah, yeah, so many yeah, of them. That's a wonderful thing. I think we'll move on to the next yeah. wonder, though, uh, which takes us We've into... got to get through seven, haven't we? We have, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I've, I've got a careful eye on the, on the clock because I know everyone's got other shows to go to. Or, There's nothing yeah. more enhancing for a guest of a show than to watch the presenter constantly looking at his watch. Yes, yes. This is exactly what happened to, during yeah. therapy. It was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, don't take it. It's a, 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 you're clearly somebody who is able <laughs> to speak at face. length. So, no, no. That's a, if it's a fault, it's definitely a fault on the right side. There's nothing worse than ask, somebody asking you a question. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. It's just the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Anyway, so your next wonder uh, that I have in the, the list is uh, brain scans. Brain scans, yeah. yeah. I uh, I was very lucky. I volunteer for lots of stuff because I meet scientists. Uh, sometimes they're doing research and experiments, and uh, and I'll say, oh, I'd love to try that. Right. So uh, a few years ago, uh, it was wonderful. This man, I was on a train from Tunbridge Wells after doing a gig down there, and a man came up to me and he just said, "I've heard your radio show. I think you should have a brain scan." And then, and then he said, sorry, that sounded ruder yes, than I yes, thought. Yes. It's not because of your uh, appalling sentence structure. It is actually, yeah. I bet you'd be excited by having one. I said to this stranger, I said, oh, yeah, I'd really love to have a brain scan. And so I went to Imperial College. And I, it, it's just this beautiful thing. Again, this is what I spoke to the year ones and year twos about. I showed them the brain scan. And when you see this, you know, this beautiful this, this organ this strange you know it's such a kind of you know arcane thing to look at it's so peculiar so wonderful that everything or most of what yeah. is you most of what is me most of what is you is all inside the skull and so i went in through outside this brain scanner and and then it comes out with this beautiful animation that in fact someone from wetter out in new zealand is making me currently a 3d model of my actual oh, brain right. which is very exciting and i think to see your brain is just it is quite a kind of it's a transcendent moment to think that's where everything happens that's where the good and the bad happens that's also where a lot happens that i never hear you know that whole thing about the fascinating thing that much of what our brain is doing is totally detached from from our consciousness so again anyone here who has anxiety or has had anxiety you know they'll know about the fact that sometimes you know that you're not meant to be anxious about something and you try and argue with your anxiety but your anxiety exists in a part of the brain that doesn't understand language so right. basically going don't be so silly of course you don't need a Wii when you're in the middle of this theatre. It's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. You can use the loo when it gets to the end yeah. of Act 1. You don't need a wee. Don't worry yeah. about it. I wish you hadn't but, raised that as a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Uh, I'm not going anywhere near uh, that. Uh, <laughs> the, um, but it is... That, and, and, and you're arguing, though. You're, you're going, don't do that. But the anxiety brain's going... Because <laughs> it doesn't understand a word you're saying. Okay. So to look at all of those things... and then and I can, do you the thing, see, can you see that in a scan? Though, you can't yeah. see very much. I mean, that's yeah. the, the, the interesting thing is it's still a very lumpen thing in terms of actually being able to see... Mm. Smaller parts of behavior. We can have some sense of what activity goes on there and what activity is there, but in a very, very broad way. We really do need to be able to be able to monitor a brain almost neuron by neuron yeah. to really start getting like the sense of the self and things like that. But I did a thing with uh, the Royal, uh, uh, the, uh, the Christmas lectures, Sophie Scott, uh, a friend of mine who's a, uh, a neuroscientist at UCL. She asked me, because as you can see, I don't stop talking. She said, <laughs> uh, could you come on to the show and I'm going to give you a magnetic pulse to the motor region of your brain and it's going to stop you being able to talk. And it's the most fascinating. Some people find this it scary. It I'd obviously hasn't worked, Brian. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> if you had the equipment here, you could do it at any time whatsoever. Yeah. Brian Cox, I think, is currently doing a crowdfund yes, to get yeah. one. How um, are you getting all these 
scans and devices. There's people queuing up for 18 months on the NHS. Do you, well, do you I go it's private? Literally, yeah. I <laughs> know yeah. it's 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 if you just say, I don't know what's gonna happen. Yes, just so you know it is dangerous, don't sign the form. Yeah. And uh and, and so I I sat there and I did uh, a little bit of jab where twas brillig and the slithy tove did gar and gimbal in and then this and it just goes and you there's no you can't you can see the words sometimes almost in your throat it feels wow. and they just stop and then once the magnetic pulse has gone you can then start start talking again is that again. not panic inducing like, like, i didn't find it was or, yeah. i find it terrifying things like abseiling or anything like that no 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 bungee jumping etc but people mucking around with my brain for some reason i yeah. love it you're how extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> so brain scans uh, is because you're interested in the brain, but because you can scan the whole body as well. You, you're yeah, not interested I mean, in that. I, I find yeah. all of it interesting. I think yeah. the fact that we can see inside ourselves is a very beautiful and wonderful thing. And I think the fact that also we're beginning to understand, you know, the, uh, so often, of course, so much of our knowledge actually comes from the most terrible things. Yeah. It comes from war very often. It comes from, from damage that people have experienced. But the fact that now we are, like there's a, an incredible scientist, and I feel annoyed that I've forgotten his name. He wrote a wonderful book. He noticed that people who appeared to be in, in and I'll be very careful where I described this persistent vegetative state yeah um he realized that you could find out if that person was still there even though as yet they couldn't communicate yeah. which is for instance if you play certain pieces of music you are able to see if it's a piece of music that person is fond of you will see a different kind of sensation in the brain. Now, if that person is no longer there, if they truly are brain dead, that won't happen. Equally, you can place a photo in front of them. You can put a series of faces. And if you put a series of faces of loved ones, whatever it might be, mothers, wives, mm. husbands, there will be a different spike to it being a stranger. And thanks to that research, oh, wow. there are people who were basically left just going, they're not there anymore, who are now able to live a real semblance of a life. And yeah. that to me is remarkable. I should also add to that, though, because, of course, this is often hotly debated by people about sometimes when someone, you know, is having their machine turned off. You are also able to see when the architecture is just not there anymore. And when that sad thing that we as human beings, when we still see the physical form of someone, we believe we can somehow get in there. But that fact that he's been able to release people as such, yes. I think, is, is beautiful. Oh, you've got to leave a list of your favourite bits of music with your loved ones so they know which one very often because if you've gone off them yeah, you know, yeah. I've, got, I've gone off early Beatles now yeah. and they're playing she loves you no, no, it's doing nothing go on brain <laughs> well uh, and, but I don't, this doesn't often happen but this now links to the next wonder because your next wonder is Patti Smith yes. who is a singer a musician but a, a, a poet I suppose as well so, poet as so, well yeah so again there'll be plenty of people who go oh yeah Patti Smith I remember her or I know her I love her other people go oh no exactly who is Patti Smith and why so who is she and well, why Patti have you said of all the you haven't gone for Dylan you haven't gone for well uh, Dylan yeah. fits into this story yeah. actually yes. because Patti Smith I hugely recommend any of you reading her books Just Kids which is about when she first moved to New York very very young and she lived with the uh, photographer uh, Robert Mapplethorpe yeah and it's the most beautiful story of two people in poverty living in, in, in just managing to survive where for instance one of them because they both loved art and Robert Mapplethorpe always knew he knew he was going to make it it's a beautiful and one he of them did would make, have, but I think she made she made the money first of all I think she yeah the, but going, they both became you know because yeah. a lot of those wonderful pictures of her were taken yeah. by Robert Mapplethorpe and all of her books are filled with so much even when she's dealing with tragedy and loss they there is a level of joy and passion and when you watch her live she it is you know when you 
sometimes watch someone and it does feel like there's a spell on you. This is not just someone doing a show. This is, in fact, I think of, I went to see Bruce Springsteen. I went to see Bruce Springsteen on his most recent tour. Yeah, right. That, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, right? Because you were, and of course he sang the song that he co-wrote with Patti Smith, Because the Night. And it was just three hours of these musicians, many of whom are in their 70s now. They just came out there. Springsteen goes, one, two, and off they go into a song. The song stops, one, two, the next song. An hour and a half of that, and then another hour and a half, and a little story in between, and the passion of that. And you don't just feel this is not just a commercial transaction. This is someone who says, you're here, and I'm going to give you a very, very special night. And Patti Smith is like that. And now, when you mentioned Bob Dylan, Patti Smith actually uh, went and received his Nobel Prize for Literature, because Dylan and didn't travel to it. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the many reasons that I love Patty Smith, so there's a beautiful moment, and it's on YouTube if you want to see this, where um, she's, there's all of those people, you know, the Nobel, there's just, just hundreds of people, thousands of people, yeah. black ties, very, very ornate, huge amount of pressure. And then there's an orchestra and she starts singing a Dylan song. And she gets to the second verse and she gets a line wrong. And she stops. And the guitarist stops. And then they start again. And she gets the line wrong a second time. And then there's just silence and she goes, I'm sorry, I'm very nervous. And it's the most beautiful moment because as she does that, that moment of what some would see as failure just increased the humanity. And the fact that someone who's been an artist for as long as she had could also just stop and say, I need to tell you this. And you look at the people's faces. You can see some people kind of going, well, I'm very unimpressed. (laughs) But what you predominantly see is people going, what a beautiful moment. yeah. So, oh, I, I, I didn't bring up Dylan because of that, but you, know, you mentioned Because the Night with Bruce Springsteen and then Gloria, which is mm-hmm. a Van Morrison or probably them, but so she adapted that song or rewrote that oh, song. Oh, it's a huge her. song, yeah. It's yeah. just kind of, but she is, when you watch her live and when she, she does an incredible cover version of uh, of uh, Midnight Oil's Beds Are Burning, which is like about 12 minutes long and becomes this epic yeah. poem. And she is someone that you just look at her. There are certain, I mean, in another way, someone like Dick Van Dyke has a similar gift to me. It's like, like I didn't really particularly like the Mary Poppins film that came out recently but the moment Dick Van Dyke came on it's yes. suddenly there are certain people it's like one of my favourite things I'd have included this in the Seven Wonders of the World I don't think I did is any footage of Dick Van Dyke surprising diners inside a restaurant by suddenly singing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> it's like Chitty Bang Bang Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Chitty Bang Bang and then everyone joins yeah. in and people are going that's Dick Van Dyke that yeah, is yeah, Dick yeah. Van Dyke it's that level of joy and it's that thing to me which as an artist and as a performer yeah. you should never be on just kind of auto you should always be oh, in yeah. the room it's one of the reasons that i love rick mail was every time you watch rick mail you never felt he was shortchanging an audience yeah, you know sure. uh, dick van dyke was always unfortunate people say oh and you did that ludicrous cockney accent. he sort of apologized he said no don't apologize it was great it was great yeah. to, uh, getting the accent a bit weird uh, it, it it marked the film you know mary Potter was made by that um okay so so patty smith you've obviously seen her perform yeah i mean long time ago oh uh, recently, the most recent what, time yeah. i saw her when she was on a bill with uh, nick cave in victoria park and there was courtney barnett was on and brick smith from the fall and the psychedelic furs and it was but she i was chatting to a mate yeah. of mine that i was with there and we both said even though nick cave was the person on last and the person at the top of the uh, yeah. and i love nick cave but for us, it was Patty Smith that time. She's the wonder of the world. Yeah. But, so you, so you, you, you haven't, uh, you haven't gone with Joni Mitchell or 
or Janis Joplin or, you know, Kate Oh, Bush there's so many people yeah, that I could have gone done, with. Yeah, but but I yeah. do feel that Patti Smith, for me... Also, it's interesting you mentioned Joni Mitchell because I know that she did a, a, a... Well, no one knew she was going to come on. There were people doing a kind of tribute uh, yeah. thing and then they said, but who sings Joni Mitchell's songs better than anyone else? Joni Mitchell. The audience didn't know. She came on. Imagine she'd that been excitement. very unwell. She'd so, been very, yeah. very unwell. And, um, and I then heard that someone went, oh, she didn't sing the songs very well. And I hate it when people... It's like Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I remember some people after... And I've seen him life right yeah. people after he did Glassman they went oh I didn't think he did the songs very well yeah. you go you're watching Chris Christopherson there is a point when you're watching someone on stage where it doesn't matter that I don't want them to sing the way they did when they were 30 no. it's like when you listen to Johnny Cash you listen to those later recordings of Johnny Cash you yeah. hear his age yeah. you hear, you hear the, gravel, the gravel yeah anyone yeah. who goes oh they missed that note well they sound like the most joyless yeah. and I won't say the second word because it would get bleeped out yeah, but okay. I really well, I don't know well even Elton John it would have been prick. Elton John at <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Ellen John at Glastonbury, people said that as well. His yeah, it's like that. Well, it's he, not just he's about. He's 93 or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> and he's still going strong. Uh, well done. He could be president as well. But that's no, one of the things no. I love as well. I was, yeah. uh, sorry, I'm going to throw in another one. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Mavis Staples. I don't know if any of you know the Staples singers. Uh, Mavis Staples, who did the, uh, her, her dad, Pop Staples, wrote a song called Freedom Highway. Yeah. It's the most brilliant song covered by the specials on their last album. And uh, she, when I last saw her, I, st- I welled up when she did Freedom Highway. It's the most beautiful yeah. song about civil rights as well. And I chat to someone who'd been at, at the, the venue she played the night before and they went, this little old woman turned up. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, how is she going to go on stage? Stage and she was just there and then she went on stage and she was the most alive of anyone yeah. whatever age they could have been yeah and you mentioned Sinead O'Connor as well now, yeah I, 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 I mentioned this on the radio a couple of weeks ago before this recording because uh, I interviewed her on Loose Ends and she was going to uh, sing a song and then the course of the interview uh, she, I said I liked another song from the album. So she's oh, I'll sing that instead. So she said, and there's this consternation amongst the people in charge because it was a potentially libelous song and she, and she had to sing it a cappella. But that's why she wanted to sing it because she wasn't sure about the tuning of her guitar. And it was just such a, and it was, she was a really interesting person. She to was talk a brilliant to. human being. Yeah. She was and someone so honest. Like, Every time yeah. she went into a different line of thing, it wasn't, and um, I can think of other singers who affect a bit of sort of outrage and, uh, but, her outrage is always from the heart. Though. Yeah, and I really, and I think she's a great lesson to all of us, which is don't wait till someone's died to become their ally. You know, there's yes. that beautiful line that she quoted from, I forget the name of the Greek poet now from the 1970s, which is, they buried me, but they didn't know I was a seed. And I think that is, oh, yeah. can I just say, when mentioning yeah. musicians, one of my favourite times ever on Loose Ends, do you remember when Ginger Baker was on? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. So Clive had to interview yeah. Ginger Baker. I can't believe I'd forgotten about that yeah. until you mentioned that, right? You know, Ginger Baker, the drummer. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say it's fair to say that uh, he's a problematic interviewer, yes, isn't yeah. he, right? So Clive had obviously read the whole of Ginger Baker's book. Ginger Baker's uh, daughter had turned up to apologise for him after the show, which is obviously <laughs> one of her jobs she had to do. Yeah. And uh, Clive was just there asking all of these wonderful, intricate questions taken from the yeah. book, and he would just go, mm, no. <laughs> Did I? And I eventually could hear the producer saying, give up now, Clive. Because it was about 20 (laughs) minutes of just, uh, uh, uh. And then I was interviewing the uh, physicist, Marcus Chown. I don't know if you remember this, right? And I said, I'm joined by the physicist, Marcus Chown, and we're going to talk about some of the ideas of the universe. And out of nowhere, this man who had been monosyllabic throughout suddenly went, are you a big banger? Are you a big banger? Do you believe in a big bang? Big bang's a load of rubbish, mate. And I could just see Clive going, if only I'd been told to interview him about cosmology. (laughs) That's the one place 
they say that yeah. was an amazing day. Well, it wasn't amazing, but oddly enough, I've mentioned the Sinead O'Connor, but he came on that as well. He came. So I was interview. I mean, I just oh represent God. this as a badge of honor. I was an interview Sinead O'Connor, who, who could sometimes be a difficult interviewee, but she wasn't on this occasion. And then I was going on to Ginger Baker. So I was able to say to him, it was. Uh, it might even been your joke, but it was. Uh, it was an, a, an esprit d'escalier which went right because I said, "Oh, last time you were on, you said you didn't believe in the Big Bang Theory, and you're a drummer. You must believe yeah. in Big Bang." <laughs> but I remember we chatted about it. It was, it was like three years later. Uh, but it, no, it was. He was an interesting person. He, he was on to talk about a documentary which somebody had made, and in the documentary. He hits the documentary maker. You, you know, yeah. so I don't know if everyone does. So and and draws blood. Yeah, and it's only because the guy says, "Oh, he spent three days with him in in his place in Africa." And they said, "Oh, I'm now going to go and talk to your, I don't know, your ex-wife, your girlfriend." No, you're not. He started hitting him. Yeah. So, so he never did that to me. I don't, I'm obviously <laughs> losing, my, losing my edge. Clive, where would you like Jin to sit? Oh, with the other end, I think. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Can he take his walking stick? Yeah. <laughs> no weapons. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Libraries is your next Yeah. One. So I'm a perfectly understandable one of a man of your erudition and interest. So are you talking about public libraries that... Public oh, libraries yeah. in particular, all libraries, but public libraries. I think Carl Sagan, the uh, the, the great science communicator, he said libraries are a mark of civilization you yes. know and i think that thing which is to have people have the freedom to take out any book that they want to sit in the library you know I, i've done some various bits of library campaigning and people will often go oh libraries they're just kind of for the middle class aren't they and that's normally said by somebody who's middle class and doesn't have a library membership card and the point is when i go to libraries i just find they are full of so many different people you know yeah. there's a there's a beautiful library in preston called the 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 harris and you walk in there and you find there there are there, there are children there having having stories read to them. There are elderly people there able to read some of the magazines and newspapers they might not be able to afford at home and go through the books mm -hmm. as well. There are very often refugee groups there because they can't afford to go to a cafe, but they can have meetings there. The librarians do such incredible work. There's things in the storerooms. There are so, and it's that access to ideas. I can see why you know that lots of the libraries that I've been to recently are always fighting for funds, and and I love librarians as well. I love my, my friend Richard Boone, who was also the uh, 
um, he used to be the manager of the Buzzcocks in the 1970s. He also was worked at Rough Trade Records when the Smiths were signed, and he appears in Morris's autobiography in the one line, and then Richard Boone said something very unhelpful. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and also he uh, he then became a librarian. Mm. And he took me into the stacks, which is kind of the back area of the library, and he was just showing me all the stuff in the back. And there was this beautiful moment where he showed me the large print Mills and Boone, and they said, over there are all the audio books, and all of those audio books are for the people who can't get it in, get into the library anymore. And some of them are people who are library regulars and they're losing their sight, so they, mm. but they still want to be involved in books. He said, that one was the most fun book, uh, he said, when we lent that one out. And he said, there's a woman called Margaret, and she rings us up every Tuesday for a book uh, to listen to. And one Tuesday, she rang up and she went, Richard, I've, t- I've decided what I'd like this week. I've had a look at the list, and I would like to listen to Fifty Shades of Grey, please. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and Richard went, oh, you, are you sure, Margaret? She went, yes, 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 I'm sure. He goes, you do know it's racy. She went, of course I know it's racy, Richard. I've lived a life. I lived through the war. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they sent it round. And on the Friday at nine in the morning, the phone rang and it was Margaret. And she went, Richard, <laughs> CD3 is filthy. <laughs> and he said, I did warn you. She went, no, it's filthy. It's got marmalade on it or something. <laughs> it won't play. Yeah. And I got to a great bit of sadomasochism, <laughs> you know, and I just, <laughs> so I, I and, and those when when I meet people in libraries, and like I said, I yeah. quite often do do free gigs in libraries. I just love the people that I meet, and it's that passion for ideas. You know, Neil Gaiman talked. To, he said libraries are one of the last buildings where you walk into it and no one's there waiting to take money off you. Yes. You know? Well, sometimes if you're late back with your books, that's the well, that's thing. your problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid well, like, that's mean, the, not the libraries. Obviously, like a lot of things provided by local authorities, usually it's under pressure because their budgets are yeah. not large. And I suppose the trouble with libraries is for, for a lot of people, it's, it's not as necessary as they used to be because a reference library used to be a place everybody would have to go to to look things up. And now, as you sort of mentioned in, in passing earlier on, you've got your phone in your hand or a computer at home or you can look up... A lot of people everything. still haven't. No, no I know. I'm not saying these aren't access, good things, yeah. but they... Stop they closing the libraries, Clive. I'm going to take you down, yeah, man. Yeah. So do you think... Um, there should be one of these sort of multi-billionaire people. Might, you know, like Carnegie, who came from, I think, Dunfermline you know, in Scotland and then went to America. And then he made a lot of money out of, I think it was steel. But he gave loads and loads of money all around the world, but in America and Scotland well, and I think to start life. Yeah. So there's all those... You know, the Musks and the Bransons and all the other yeah, ones. Yeah, stop trying yeah. to send people into space with your ridiculous Freudian rocket ships. Yeah. And I really do, even though I love science, and I, and I know we're probably going to get to SpaceX, but I keep making links for you, don't I? This Thank is you. great, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But I really you're, think you're that... You've so long doing the links, you're not going to get yeah. to the <laughs> But it is... Uh, but I, yeah. I think w- what we need to do is spend more time making sure that people on yeah. Earth who are here now on a terraformed world, yeah. as it is, and we need to give people libraries. I mean, I mean it's ridiculous to Things that have to fund themselves, hospices, hospices. Yeah. Eighty. My, my niece is a uh, is a, a pediatric nurse. She cycled around eighty four children's hospices in the UK last year to make funds for them. Right. These kind of things. We I'm, don't get. I, I know yeah. I'm getting onto it, but I think it's there are so many things that will make lives of human beings, yeah. all human beings, not just two percent of human beings, better. Yeah. And part of that is libraries and knowledge. And when we empower ourselves with knowledge, and that's why people don't like libraries because you leave it armed all right okay well that's uh yeah yeah, yeah there's my yeah, bit yeah. for you yeah 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 but, but i really do feel but there but there are you know there are, you know there are, i i we're putting on to you know billionaires and you know bill gates has done a lot of charitable work in in, in very worthwhile things but we, we need another carnegie to perhaps yeah. uh not even open libraries we just keep them open keep yeah. the ones that are there 
Uh, anyway, okay, well, I, th I think that speaks for itself. Um, but now you go on to something which is pretty scientific, CERN. Yeah. Uh, which I, I presume you've gone to visit this. Yeah. So t tell us about what CERN is. And uh... well, 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 CERN is this wonderful place of physics, basically. One of the reasons that it was, was built was, of course, after the Second World War, physics was seen as being, as you'll see if you go and see Oppenheimer, it was seen as being the atom bomb. Mm. Physics had started to be seen as a very, very negative thing. It was something that had given people incredible, you know, very, mm. very dangerous powers. So CERN, one of the reasons it was built was well, two reasons. One was to show this incredible positive side of physics and also the internet national side of physics. So it was a place where physicists from all around the world would go and work and be united in kind of almost this country, this small country of physics, right? And what I find so wonderful about it is I was there back in January. I said in some ways it's almost like Stonehenge because maybe in, in 5,000 years' time, people will find what lies underneath this yeah. bit of Switzerland. So how big is it? It's a big, a big circular thing. It's about 29 kilometers of the Large Hadron Collide around. And, and it's just this incredible thing, which is here is this thing which is sending around bundles of subatomic particles at speeds near that of light. Yeah. And they're colliding, and we're finding out why matter is matter and why the universe is as it is. And it's that beautiful thing as well, which science to me, we if we always talk about answers, it's not about answers. It's about growing new questions. So when Peter Higgs, and some of you might have seen that footage, of course, Peter based in the, in the university yeah. up here, you know, Peter Higgs, he as a young man had come up with an idea. And then there's this incredible thing that is built to test his idea. And after all of those years, an old man sits in a room not dissimilar to this yeah. and sees that his idea of the Higgs, fold and the, Higgs, the Higgs field and the Higgs boson was a good idea. And when you go down into, I mean, it's an amazing, have you been there? I have, my wife's been there on enough and she's a bit claustrophobic. So she's visited lots of it, but she didn't go right into the depths. Oh, because it, it is, you go a hundred meters underground. That was, somebody and, said that to her and that, that, was yeah, the point, yeah. that was the point she decided well, of course to go you, to the You can lie with the lift, and, yeah, can't yeah, you? It's yeah, just a five, yeah, five yeah, meter yeah. lift, you know, but, but, and you go down and then you turn this corner and there you see part of this, just this magnificence, this beauty, all of that human ingenuity. That's, and, and I just find that way of testing why the universe is as it is is so beautiful and and i th i remember when we were driving back and forth i was making a little bit i made a a, a kind of 45 minute um documentary uh, that was mixing the show i was doing for the people at cern that night and then me just meeting different people and i i just kind of every time that we went for a little drive, I thought of all the different layers. Again, I'm fascinated by the idea of the block universe, this idea that there are layers of time and that, you know, when you walk around Edinburgh and you think about the history of Edinburgh, sometimes you almost see ghosts. You know, mm. you think because it's a place of so many stories. Yeah. And that's what I saw when I was looking at CERN is I was looking at all the different stories on every different level from the electrical pylons to the farms and thinking about what was going on the farms to think about as I went past woodland, all of the mycorrhizal connections that are underneath the trees yeah. and this kind of community communication that appears to go on, which seemed like such an absurd idea initially, but it's now testable. And then you get down to that area of subatomic particles, but, you know, clashing together. And it's that beauty of all of the stories, some human stories, some stories of nature. I know you're going to say, oh, we're just going to ask another question, but is it going to tell us about the Big Bang or how... how these particles well the big bang is the, the big bang's a different question really because the big bang the problem we have there is scientists have only managed to get back to the first 10 to the minus 37 of a second which is just an incredibly yeah. tiny amount of time yeah. right that is so remarkable yeah. to me and you then get to this point where quantum behavior and and relativity and the nature of gravity just don't seem to be able to link yeah. and that's their problem and so a scientist said to me in the end we'll have to disprove gravity now that was beautiful because i then told an audience that that night 
right. And 10 people got really scared. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 whatever keeps us on the ground, we'll still keep working. Well, it won't well, be going, they've disproved gravity, yeah, yeah. you fools, <laughs> right? But that, and what came before the big bang? Yeah, and that's that's the thing is yeah. if we can get to that first point. Yeah. But I mean, what? How incredible to get to that yeah. incredible, you know, that tiny, tiny fracture of time. Yeah. So, so that's well, you know, there wasn't that, anything that, before them because time. Yeah, well, that's again, if, or God created. I know that's not your yeah. that's not your theory because you're very you're a. a Fair to say, it's very militant atheist. Oh, not though. militant, no, because I don't. I don't care if people. Ha I think I'd be militant if I wanted to tell everyone not to believe in God. A lot of my friends, you know, I, I don't want to name drop Clive, but if you don't mind, I am friends with the Bishop of Leeds. So, um, but I, I think there are lots of people. I think one of the problems with Richard Dawkins and others from that atheist movement is they haven't realised that for many people, God and faith is not held in the same part of the brain as lots of kind of what you might call evidence-based ideas. It's held in a place of emotion. It's held in a place of connection. It's, I, I don't care what anyone believes in. I only care about whether their belief then allows them to punish other people and be cruel to other people and becomes an alibi for their bigotry. And nearly all the religious people I know, and certainly all the religious people I hang around with, that it's like we did an episode of Monkey Cage where we had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, and we also had uh, the uh, um, Dean of Guildford Cathedral, right? Wonderful man Victor Stock who has this wonderful rather camp way about him right he turns up the camp a little bit when he's trying to disconcert people who are having mm. a go he goes oh yes well of course yes well that's that's, that's the many forms of God isn't it um, and he's got this great way yeah. kind of rather Kenneth Williams right um, we had on this particular show we had the scientists and then we had a thing called clerical corner which was we would throw to the, the, the religious people for their take on that right and Neil deGrasse Tyson the first time that he finished explaining some scientific idea and Brian went and now we're going to go over to clerical corner and uh neil deGrasse said went clerical corner is there a physics corner in all of their churches <laughs> and victor went well of course in westminster abbey one of the things we've got is in one corner we've got isaac newton and also charles darwin and of course now stephen hawking and one of the things we try and do and i could just see neil deGrasse tyson going ah! <laughs> i can battle against extremists yeah. but kindly incredibly well-read passionate yeah. and curious members of the general synod they are my kryptonite <laughs> and it was that beautiful moment this argument is not required okay this idea so, so yeah i would say i'm not militant i'm 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 pretty relaxed about. I'm just not keen on uh, in, in cruelty towards people. Okay, all right. Well, and uh, some atheists are yeah. right. Anyway, so there we go. We're yes. we're we're, <laughs> we're we're running out of time. Um, no, we're not. I checked no, with Brian. No, it turns no, out we, time's yeah, an illusion. Yeah. We can keep going yeah, for as long as you want. Time's in a, I was I was like that. I did time's an illusion. That means you you don't turn up yeah. for a certain arrangement. Yeah. Time's uh, illusion. Tea time doubly so. Yes. Um, okay. Your sixth wonder. Uh, which we just about have time. We're going to get both. I'll do them. Yeah, really quick. We're going to also. So this is the the Earthrise photograph. The Earthrise photograph taken by Apollo Eight. I think is a beautiful thing for uh, us to be able to look back on our own planet. I think yeah. it's a very very important people again in politics and all those things. Is that idea that if to see the fragility, to see the beauty, yeah. to see like uh, friends with. Oh, are we finished? No, no. Oh, no, I, I thought you were. Right I was. There. I was describing with my hand the photograph. Oh, okay. So you see the Earth <laughs> as though it is a uh, like. It's it's from the moon, so it's now looking like the yeah. moon or, or a very lo it's a lonely planet. And, and it happened by mistake as well. That's the beautiful thing. Taking an image of the Earth oh, was not the plan for a camera. Well, no, well, it we've was all basically done that. You take a figure of your thumb or the something. The crew of Apollo yeah. 8 were a bit yeah. disappointed in the moon and thought it was a bit boring. They were yeah. kind of just looking at the moon and, and observing where the landing point yeah. might be for Apollo 11. 
And they, so they were a bit bored. And then they looked out the window and went, oh, my goodness, we live there. Yeah. And that's when Jim Lovell said, get the camera, get the camera. Let's yes. get a shot of, of the earth. And I, I'll tell you a little story about Hang Chris. Hang on, before you go, tell the story. But So we're NASA a bit annoyed. They said, you've been sent up to get photographs of the moon. You've sent the photographs of the earth. Yeah, we, well, we can get much better photographs of the earth back here. Well, we're on the earth. Some <laughs> of the greatest astronomical photographs, like Carl Sagan's image that was taken by Voyager, you know, became known as the pale blue dot, which again, this beautiful image of the Earth where it's just a tiny dot in a shaft of light. Mm. That he had to argue with for ages to say, this gives us a sense of our place, yeah. even just in the solar system. But this is, I want to tell you about Chris Hadfield, who's a wonderful astronaut and, and I, as someone that I, I love working with and talking to. Is he the one uh, that played guitar and stuff? Yeah, he played yeah, guitar yeah. in space. He's yeah. got a band. He's written some wonderful books. I just want to tell you a lovely story. I mentioned that my, my niece was a paediatric nurse and uh, there was a, a, a young boy, Henry, who was absolutely the most wonderful. Uh, he was an eight-year-old who just loved space and stuff like that. Unfortunately, he then got leukemia and he's very, very ill. And what I want to say about Chris and, and nearly all the astronauts that I feel so lucky to have met lots of astronauts is the generosity and kindness and what they've got from going into space and the way they reach out to people. And this little lad, he really loved Chris's picture book all about the nature of dark. And I said, Chris, look, I'm really sorry to ask this, but there's a young lad, his name's Henry and, uh, and he's not very well. And I wondered if you could record a message for him. He said, why don't I do a zoom meeting with him? So he took half an hour of his time or more than that to talk to an eight year old about space. And when Henry then got very ill, then it was kind of, we knew it was going to be the last weekend of his life. Um, I got in contact with Chris. I said, sorry to ask again, but Henry's really ill. And um, could you send a message? And he said, yes. And he sent back the most beautiful message. He filmed himself. He said, hello, Henry. Uh, I just was remembering a time I was on the International Space Station and I was looking out the window, which is, of course, what I did every time I had a free moment. And I suddenly saw a shooting star travel between the ISS and the planet Earth. And I'd never seen anything like that before. And you know what? I'm wishing on that star so hard for you yes. today. And I think those kind of stories, again, like when we were talking about science education, yeah. Those stories which are stories of an enormous wonder and they're also stories that reach out and make a human connection. And I just wanted to mention him because he's someone that I, you know, that bit yeah. where you just wanted to, you know, when you know someone is really great and you want everyone else yeah. to know it too. Well, that's a very good story and I think it's a, it's a wonderful story to end that wonder. So uh, I won't ask you to expand any more on the Earthrise photograph. Um, and so we come to your final wonder, uh, which is a, a group of standing stones. Yeah. Uh, so, stones of Kalanish. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Does anyone want to correct me? Because I never know if it's niche or niche. I think it's stones of Kalanish on the Isle yeah. of Lewis. Yeah. In, which one do you reckon? Niche. You reckon niche? Okay. So uh, Kalanish. Okay, it's, it's the start of a song, there, isn't it? Niche. Yeah. You say niche, and I say yeah. niche. But stones of Kalanish. I, uh, I the penultimate gig I did before lockdown. Uh, I went to Isle of Lewis, and uh, I was there on the only sunny day in the whole of February, right? Yeah. Poured down for the first 25 days, storms for the last yeah. two days, 26th of February, beautiful sunlight, and I was given a lift to Stones of Kalanish, and I just had it all to myself, and I wandered around, and I stood there, and I had that moment where uh, there's, a, there's a stone that's known as the handstone, because it's shaped a bit like a stand, the Ganesian rock there is where all the kind of crystals in it and stuff. As the sun changes, it's almost like the shape of the rocks changes. Well, it's very, very beautiful. And I just ended up placing my hand on the handstone and I had this tremendous rush of different images. I had that moment of thinking of 
everyone who had stood where I had stood. You know, some of them in sandals, some of them barefoot, some of them in Wellington boots, yeah. some of them in cagoules, some of them with rabbit fur, you know, different gods in the sky, maybe only one god in the sky, maybe no god in the sky, and all of those things. And I had that wonderful sensation that comes in certain places, and it doesn't even have to be somewhere as magical as that. And it was just such a beautiful experience to have. Yeah. And then after that, it kind of reminded me of, you know, I'm often on the quest for that kind of transcendent moment. And I think the more that you tune yourself into it you can find the like uh, another wonder i could have said was the wall of darlington station at platform two a very because similar a very similar structure it's, it's yeah, a, just yeah, this yeah. great yeah. big re you yeah. get to look at it for a long time because our infrastructure is appalling and the, yeah. the train's going to be late yeah. you know and and i remember after the stones Cannish, i i was standing there and i suddenly thought about all the hands that had been all of those bricks yeah. and all the minds that gone into it and again it's that bit of when we open ourselves up to stories and when we do that everywhere becomes just it's got a kind of it's viscous the air is viscous around yeah. these places well odd enough somebody else uh, many episodes ago this uh, um selected the stones of Kalanisha. so i told the story then because i have a friend who is the most sensible he works in television he comes from a good good scots background but he going he can't go he's been there and he can't stay there because there's a sort of electric charge that he gets off those stones, which is almost unbelievable. But that, you know, he's a very reliable witness about that. So there's something in those stones, or the history, or the something. Uh, people, I think, get less of that feeling of Stonehenge, because Stonehenge has been sort of mucked around uh, yeah. too much, and the stones have fallen down, been put up again. It, there's a sort of purity to the stones there, and the, the site is so... Uh, evocative isn't it but well i think yeah. what you're saying there as well is that we bring so much with us yeah. and that's the thing it's like when we did a show on monkey cage about if you if you if you don't know the difference between uh, if you can't see whether it's white wine or red wine it's almost impossible to tell which is white and which is red and you won't believe that now and but I, brian is a, is a keen wine enthusiast yeah. and he failed on that test as did i and you suddenly go yes when we see a glass of white wine we're not doing it consciously yeah. but actually our experience of the world brings that taste is part of the thing and that's the thing again goes yet again back to yeah. Brian was furious he went no 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 the yeah. reason I said white wine was because no no because it was such a lovely thing he yeah. got so up in arms and I said next week we're doing a show about the male ego so it's you know kind of <laughs> another good game you can play I've done this on uh, making documentaries with people late at night you get uh, five examples of whiskey and you have you know a, you know a nice sort of PT one and a a Glenmorangie Glen one and maybe a, a bourbon you know even you know to to mix it in and a brandy and you do a blind tasting and you can't tell the difference That's between brilliant. them you can't tell even which is the brandy uh, but I think something to do with the you shouldn't drink too much of each whiskey as it goes along but there's no way you can tell the difference That's it's, Clive's it's alibi for having the most yeah. parlous yeah. whiskey cabinet you can <laughs> is that all you've got teachers yeah. put the blindfold on I'll tell you it's something else <laughs> Well, you just pour it into the. Oh yeah. no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't drink. I don't know yet. if that's your yeah. excuse actually for poor quality yeah, whiskey poor or quality. for putting blindfolds yeah. on people. Actually, now yes. I think about it. Well, now there's no, the revelation who, who, of the podcast. Who, who needs an excuse for that? Uh, the, uh, anyway, look, those. Thank you very much for thank your seven you. wonders. My job. I have to select the the wonder of wonder, the wonder that you have gone into, uh, which was uh, most impressive. 
And uh, well, I am. I was. I was. You know, very impressed with your your erudition about CERN and the Earthrise uh, photograph is very and the, the those uh, stones of Kalanish again. But I, I think for just the the shock of the uh, or the surprise of having it, I think having the magic roundabout uh, forever associated with your name as the wonder <laughs> of the world. So uh, I will nominate that as uh, your wonder of wonders. So thank thank you very much for joining thank us today. Thank you very much, Clive. Um, uh, yeah, Robin Hintz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode of My 7 Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thank you for listening. My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 